Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello and welcome back. If this is your first time, thanks for joining me on Life Science Marketing Radio. I want to let you know before we get started that if you are thinking about your content marketing, whether you are just getting started or you're trying to be more effective with it, I have capacity in July and August to add a couple of workshops to my schedule. These workshops focus on setting goals for your content, persona development, and how to create and repurpose content efficiently and effectively. So if that's of interest to you, visit lifesciencemarketingradio.com and fill out the form on the contact page. We'll get that conversation started. Now, let's jump into the interview. Today, I'm talking to Ethan Kopit. Ethan is a co-founder of Asena Data, and Asena is building the first account-based marketing platform to help life science companies increase the productivity of their marketing and sales team. So, and that's where what we're going to talk about today, account-based marketing and selling. Uh, so, yeah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks. I, I'm, an, I'm an avid listener, so I'm excited to be here. Oh, thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Um, all right. The idea of uh, key accounts is is not new, but what do you, we mean? Because I think this is somewhat of a trend in our industry and probably a lot of industries. I see a lot of posts on the internet about about this. What do you mean by account-based marketing and sales? Right, right. Well, I think before you can really dive into like what account-based sales and, and marketing is, you have to think a little bit about why um, people implement key accounts in the first place, right? Because key accounts... Um, and having an account-based marketing system are different, but they have many of the same value propositions. So, um, I, you know, I was talking to a regional manager this morning, and, and I was asking him, "Hey, you know, why why do you have key accounts?" And he was basically saying, "Well, uh, he manages the Northeast uh, region for an instrument company, and he says that he implemented um, kind of key account management because it allows him to have more focused sales plans for his team. Um, it helps." them form stronger relationships with the customers they have at those key accounts. And then also, you know, at his company, he discussed how that, that 80, 20 rule about revenue, um, where 80% of the revenue is coming from 20% of the clients really holds true. And so, you know, those key accounts are a big part of that, that 20%. And, uh, he also talked about how about 50% of their revenue, like every year consistently comes from their existing customers. And so I think for him, having a key account management system really allows them to optimize for that model where you're having, um, a, a, you know, not a small number, but a smaller portion of the uh, clients generating a lot of the revenue. And you also have a lot of um, existing customers contributing to that, to that revenue stream. So a key account um, system allows you to really optimize for upsells, for cross-sells, for creating a more kind of defensible system against competitors. You can encourage uh, referrals within the account. So that's why people have, I believe, why people have a key account management system in place. And so when you look at the difference between key accounts and account-based marketing, I think there are really two big differences. Um, and the question that I think account-based marketing poses to, to people who use key accounts is, well, what if you could 
expand the benefits of having key accounts and then also align your marketing and sales team at the same time. So the way that account-based marketing does that is that uh, ABM basically focuses sales and marketing on a, you know, a discrete number of named accounts, uh, which at, you know, at a Senate we call target accounts. And target accounts are a lot like key accounts, but they, the definition of them I think is more holistic. So you know, target accounts have a lot of, of factors that um, define them, like you know, you, you're looking at technographic data, like what tools are, are you being used in an account, firmographic data, intent data, engagement data. But I think the biggest thing that differentiates them from the key account is for target accounts, you're really focused on where the untapped potential is. You know, it's not just about where are we pulling the most revenue, it's where is the most untapped potential. And, and what is the easiest way that I could, or the you know, accounts where it would be most easy for me to break into that untapped potential. Um, so, it, you know, target accounts and key accounts are similar, right? You might have key accounts that are target accounts because penetration into an account isn't a bad thing. Um, there might be an account that has a lot of untapped potential, but you're actually, you have good penetration there. And that's great, right? That's probably going to make it easier to capture that potential. Uh, but the focus is on how there is untapped potential at that account. So, you know, you might look for penetration, but you definitely don't want to see saturation. Penetration might help you capture that untapped potential, but you don't want to have an account where there's, you're, there's penetration, but there's not a lot of extra opportunity to capture. So that's one big way that uh, ABM is different than having key accounts, is the definition of what uh, the target account is is different than the key account. Um, and I think the other and perhaps more important difference has to do with the alignment of the sales uh, and marketing teams. Because I was reading... Um, an article last week, it was by this agency called Topo, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they were basically discussing how their research shows that about 10 to 20% of the leads that marketing is generating are actually for accounts that the sales team is prioritizing. So, right, if you flip that on its head for a second, that means that um, 80 to 90% of the leads that marketing are generating are not for accounts that the sales team are going to be able to, you know, they're not, they're, not a, they're not leads that the sales team is going to be able to use as effectively as they might um, from, you know, maybe key accounts or, or target accounts. And so what ABM does is say to both the marketing and the sales team, let's identify what our target accounts are and let's focus, uh, let's prioritize these accounts and let's focus on generating the leads that we need there. Let's focus on putting, the, you know, the time in there. Let's focus on expanding our customer base there. And that way you can take that, you know, 10 to 20% statistic and move that up to maybe, you know, 30 or 40 or 50. Yeah. Okay. So let me make sure I get this right. So the difference between a key account and account-based marketing, it's a similar approach, but now you're going, so the key accounts account for a lot of your revenue. Account-based marketing is taking, say, the next slice of the pie where there's a big opportunity and focusing in those areas. Is that a fair summary? I think that's close. I mean, the thing is that uh, it, it almost has to do with a redefinition of what key account is, maybe. That might help. Okay. Because, right, like, there might be a lot of untapped potential in your key accounts, which would make them great target accounts. Sure. Uh, but at the same time, there also, and, and this is what you were saying, there also might be some that are below the key account level that also have a lot of untapped opportunity. So really, 
it's about prioritizing the target accounts. And you know what a good target is is kind of up to, to you based on how your sales process works and um, what products you sell. Exactly. I love this. And, and here's why. And then I want to get back to um, the lead question. I'm saying that just so I don't forget. But I love this because when I was a marketing communications manager, one thing I struggled to get from my product management team was or or higher levels you know, they'd say, we have these goals to grow by so much. But they, it was difficult to say, who are we, you know, where do we think the opportunity is? Is it in a geography? Are there people who should be using this product but aren't yet because it's a new application? Um, any number of other criteria to really focus down and say, this is the kind of person we want to get, not just get more of the same or go out and find anybody who can possibly use this thing. So I, I love that idea of prioritizing who you're, who you're targeting in, in a very, very specific way. And then with respect to those leads and you're saying, you know, you could generate a lot of leads and maybe they aren't the ones, as you say, that the sales team are interested in. So this whole alignment thing of having the sales team say, if we got leads that look like this in this type of account, that would make us more efficient about how we go about doing our work. So, Right. And I think, I mean, it's something I've heard because, you know, I, we recently started this company and one of the things we did to start was interview about Actually, it's over 100 sales and marketing professionals. And, and I've heard that from both sides. Um, you know, marketing is basically saying, like, I'm giving the salespeople good leads. And I've heard salespeople say, um, I, don't, I don't understand why this is a good lead, right? This isn't what I want, and this isn't what I have planned for. And so um, I think the mutual agreement between the two teams, and, and you have to have marketing's participation here. Like, it, it, you know, it shouldn't be a sales-led initiative or a marketing-led initiative. Right? It's, a, it's a business strategy. You should agree on those target accounts and say, this is where the best customers are. This is where the growth customers are. Yeah, and it just seems like if I were a marketer, or I am a marketer, but if I were a marketer in a company, I, like that would make my job so much easier if you told me this is exactly, you know, these are the companies we want. This is the type of person at that company we want. And you could really do much more specific marketing like we were talking about right before we started recording specificity in any message makes it so much better and makes it stand out versus all the other noise that those people are receiving so i like that what makes this whole idea so attractive right now what do you think's driving this is it just what we've talked about is um crappy leads and bad prioritization or what <laughs> why is this going on uh you know i think I think it's a little bit more complicated than and, and data. Leads. I'm sure is part of your <laughs> answer, right? Well, it's part of it, but it's not. It's not all of it. Um, I do have the bias of being from a data company, but no, you know, I think it, it really has to do with the intersection of three things, um, which are on the one hand, it is about data analysis. Um, you know, in the past decade, we've, I mean, really expanded our capacity to um, absorb, organize, analyze, um, and understand data. And, and that's, not, you know, that's not a complicated thing. I don't think a lot of people are going to disagree about that. But that's one element of it because ABM does require a lot of um, data analysis. You need, to, you need to know the accounts. You need to know, you know who you're talking to and what they want. But there are two other elements of that intersection. Um, the, the second one is personalization. 
you know, I think that people have wanted a more personal relationship with their customers for a really long time. This is actually something that um, at last year's ACPLS meeting, Harisi talked all about the customer experience and understanding the customer. And, you know, people want, uh, sales and marketers want a more personal relationship with the customer because, you know, it makes their jobs more fun and interesting. But also there are a lot of um, quantitative benefits that are associated with that. You know, a salesperson that has a more personal relationship with a, a contact um, might, you know, that might decrease the friction of a deal. Or a marketer that's able to personalize their reach outs, that's going to drive higher engagement, you know. And I think the third intersection um, is that the technology stack. I don't know if you've ever heard the, the term stack. It's a, it's, a, it's a tech term, but it really just refers to like the technology that's being used in sales and marketing. Um, the technology stack is evolving a lot. And even in just the last three years, the, um, how much technology is deployed in, in sales and marketing is, is growing and the capabilities of that technology is growing. And I think that um, that's helping because, again, ABM does, does require you know, data analysis and does require those technologies. But also marketers, it's always been their job and continues to be their job to uh, have you know, mass awareness campaigns right? They're, they should be nurturing customers and, and keeping customers interested. I'm just walking my way down the awareness, interest, decision, action cycle there. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and they, you know, they should be doing the multi-million impression advertising campaigns. They should be doing the tens of thousand email blasts. Like that's, that's part of their job and it should continue to be their job. But the technology stack is evolving to automate many of the rote tasks that are associated with, you know, doing that. And so now marketers can ask themselves, well, you know, now that I maybe have some more, I wouldn't call it free time, but now that I have more time, um, you know, where can I take this and put it where it's going to have the highest possible ROI? And that is ABM. It, it is literally ABM. Um, there's an agency called ITSMA. And um, according to them, uh, account-based marketing has the highest ROI of any tactic or strategy. But the down, you know, not the downside, but the part of that is that you need the time. And I think technology is enabling that. Nice. Um, so talk about that time for a little bit. I mean, what what does that look like? What So you have a little bit more free time and this <laughs> but the technology is demanding of that a little to some degree. I'm just curious what what does that look like? Well, like I think um I think I was talking to somebody yesterday. Um they're from a big consumables company and I was I was talking to them about ABM and they said, "Isn't that sales job?" Right? Isn't it sales job to like you know pick target accounts? Isn't it sales job to explore uh, accounts and even write kind of specific content for the um, for the prospects in that account? And and I disagree. And I actually think that that's a lot of where marketing can come in with that extra time. Is you know if 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 you're going to be implementing a really strong account based marketing model, you need to understand the accounts really well. You need to have hyper specific content. Um, you need to be generating the right leads and all of that is something that takes more time. You know, it's easy to generate crappy leads. It's not easy to generate the leads that your team needs to execute on this, you know, six person buying process. Okay. The life science industry, I'm sure you've heard this and uh, other people have said this on the podcast, including Harisi, who you just mentioned, we're talking about Harisi Samarsadu, who's the VP of marketing for, at Thermo for their biosciences division. She and others have said that our industry lags behind 
other industries, high tech, any consumer segment uh, when it comes to marketing. And I assume, you know, our sales technologies or activities are lagging uh, behind as well. And you and I talked a while back and you said you believe our industry is poised to be a leader in account-based marketing and sales. So would explain to the audience why you think that is. Oh yeah, I, I absolutely do. I, I think uh, life sciences for the first time in a long time is going to wipe everyone else off the map. And uh, a big part of that is because it has to do with data. Um, big, big surprise there. And that's because in most other industries, like the ones you talked about, high-tech, uh, consumer, those um, companies and industries are really good about collecting data, and they collect a lot of data um, about you know, how people are purchasing, when they're purchasing, you know, what they read, what content they, they open, all that good stuff. Uh, I call it internal data. And the life science does that as well. You know, we, we also collect internal data, um, and that data is important. But in the life sciences, we're sitting on this gigantic gold mine of research data where our customers are actually publishing in structured data sets um, details about their research, you know, what tools they use, who they work with, um, the direction of their research. They give us so much research data. And that is why we are poised to, I think, create better account-based marketing systems than anybody else. Because we can combine the data that we have internally with the data that our customers are providing us in publications and patents and clinical trials and press releases, pharma pipelines. I mean, I could just keep talking forever, but we can combine those two data sets to plan effectively, plan our ABM really effectively, and then also hyper-personalize our our marketing messages and our sales efforts. Um, And I think our account-based marketing is going to be more advanced than any other industry. And I think we're going to see a higher ROI um, and a faster uptake than any other industry. Nice. So we, we're already, you know, when we interact with companies online, customers are providing all kinds of data, as you say, for their internal database, but the nature of their work, particularly in academia, and I imagine, you know, in other places as well, uh, when they're publishing and communicating through any other channel are putting out data that is widely available and can be pulled in and combined with, as you said at the beginning, their internal data to, to learn exactly what those people are doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you're absolutely right that there's more data available in academia, but um, there is also a lot of data in, uh, in, you know, in terms of what the government's doing, in terms of what, um, is being done in, in corporate R&D and small biotechs and big pharma and the, and the like. Um, I think the biggest difference between those two groups is academia is easy because the data is structured, right? There's a lot more publications and there's more grants and things like that. Um, and that's easier. But, you know, this goes back to the, the intersection of those three points I was talking about before. We have the analytical capabilities now to look into unstructured data sets, um, you know, like press releases or patents or, or web crawls from, um, you know, different pharma pipelines, like, and to do historical analyses. I mean, there's so much that we can do. Uh, and hopefully, who knows, soon we might even be doing predictive analytics, right? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So you got me curious there about uh, the unstructured data and give an example, because I'm sure there are people listening who, because my assumption was, you know, based largely on 
academic publications. So what what other kinds, and you mentioned press release and maybe some pharma things. So let's take pharma or whatever example you want. What other, what's that data look like, the unstructured that you're able to, to analyze? Yeah. Uh, let's see. I'll think of a good example. Let's, let's, let's pick a small biotech. Okay. So let's say, um, you know, I'm, I don't know, I can be selling anything, but the point is I'm, I'm, um, I'm looking to move into small biotech and, uh, you know, I've talked to a lot of people cause you know, plenty of companies sell into small biotech all the time and they, they do, uh, you know, they do research online and, um, and that's just fine. But in terms of data sets that are available to us, maybe let's walk through about, let's walk through what, you know, the data that somebody could find and how they might analyze it. Um, and how we might be able to automate that. Right. Yeah. So a small biotech, um, there's a venture deal associated with that small biotech, right? So there's a certain amount of money. Um, and yep. maybe we know, um, based on, you know, our historical experience, how much, what proportion of that money might be going to R and D. We also know that there's a press release in terms of um, what this company might be working on. We can look at the publication history of their chief science officers or any other people we can see in that organization. Um, they might have been funded by like an SBIR grant from the NIH. We might um, look at also you know what patents their business relies upon, and. Even beyond that, you know, we can we can dive into um, we can kind of take all those different pieces of data that we have and start to create a profile of who these people are, and yeah. that's something you know, and, and and that's done in a very um, kind of old-fashioned way right now. You know, you're looking on LinkedIn and you're you're um, looking at press releases and you're kind of writing stuff in a notepad, but a computer could also do that very effectively. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Got it. That's really helpful. Let's move on. Let's talk about the sales process. So if I'm a sales manager and I'm trying to figure out a strategy, and now my marketing team, we've identified, you know, target accounts, as you say, and the marketing team is building up profiles of those companies and the people within them. What does the process look like for a sales manager? What are they trying to figure out about right. how they're going to approach those companies? Right. Well, I mean, the first thing is I think, you know, again, account-based marketing is something that can be, you know, it can be led um, by one person or a department, but it really does have to be a collaborative approach between the two of them. Um, and so I think when you're creating your, uh, you know, we call them ideal customer profiles, ICPs, or the profile of your ideal accounts, that should be a collaborative process between marketing and sales. Because, you know, again, there's there's data about them that is market research data, but there's also um, data about those ideal uh, accounts that that sales is going to be able to provide, and not necessarily all of it is going to be. Um, it's not all going to be quantitative. Maybe it's just that you know they've had certain types of experiences at those accounts. Right. And so, to take a step back, I think really the whole process breaks into six pieces. Um, the first thing you got to do is is like we just talked about. You got to create those ideal customer profiles. And you can look at, you know, the firmographic data, the technographic data. You can look at, um, you know, for my ideal account, what kind of intent would they be showing me, right? Have they visited my website a certain amount of times or have they, um, you know, sent in some sort of form? And then also the engagement data. At your ideal account, how much have you already engaged that account? Does the ideal account already have a sale, right? Or does it already have a key opinion leader installed? Um, once you've created that, 
ideal customer profile, that ideal profile of the account, um, you go into what you were just talking about, which is identifying the target accounts, um, where you basically just say, hey, you know, we have this ideal profile. Let's pick a number of accounts that is appropriate for, you know, for, for the, the number of people that we're throwing at, at, at account-based marketing. Because, I mean, maybe to take a step back for a second, that's actually one of the things I like about account-based marketing is that you don't need to kind of change up your entire marketing and sales strategy and switch to ABM. ABM is something that can be done iteratively, slowly. You can test it every step of the way. Um, and so when you're identifying target accounts, right, you might only want to throw two marketers and a salesperson at account-based marketing, in which case you'll only want you know, 25 or 35 accounts or something like that. Um, and so once you've identified your target accounts, you want to create um, effective account plans. And uh, account planning is kind of a buzzword right now. Uh, maybe this is a little, it's a, 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 a plug, but um, for anyone who's interested in account planning, you should attend the ACPLS annual meeting. Um, Kathy Lee from Affymetrics is going to be doing a, a good session on how to do account planning effectively. But um, account planning really just breaks down into looking at what you have in terms of you know, what prospects are in the center or in the CRM. Um, you got to map your, your buying centers. Right, so where in this account are those opportunities? And then you also should establish some reasonable, reasonable plans for what you need. Right, so what, what leads do mar- does marketing need to generate? Uh, you know, what are some appropriate expectations for revenue, deal size, lead life cycle, that sort of thing? And then um, once, you, once you've kind of done, you've created your account plans for those accounts, you need to go in and um, dive into those, those buying centers and basically look at the buyer personas, right? If you have six people contributing on average to a buying decision, who are those people? And you want to assign um, or create the content that you need to address those people's concerns in the buying process. And once you've done that, um, you go into what I call the account monitoring stage, right? So you're executing on your plan. Your content's being sent out. The sales team is executing. The marketing team is generating those those targeted leads. And you should be monitoring the account for how how it changes, because change, I like to think, is opportunity. If somebody leaves the lab, that might be an opportunity. If somebody joins the lab, that also might be an opportunity. And it's worth mentioning that you should monitor the target accounts, but you should also monitor in whatever capacity you can, and maybe this is where automation really comes in, you should monitor the non-target accounts. Because when you were creating that ideal customer profile, it might be that there were a lot of uh, of accounts who were really close to being a target account, but they just didn't make the cut because they didn't have the funding or they didn't have the size or they weren't using the right tools or what, you know, complementary tools. Um, so you should keep an eye on the non-target accounts. And the last thing, sorry, <laughs> a long list there, but the last thing is you should just evaluate the plan, right? Like I talked about it being iterative and testable. You shouldn't evaluate the plan uh, every week, right? Um, you should evaluate the plan maybe once a year or every six months, depending on what your lead life cycle is. But it is an iterative process, and you should figure out what's working and what's not working. And the big metrics there are just, you know, you should look at customer acquisition cost. It's probably going to go up a little bit. Um, but you should also look at the overall um, lifetime value of the account. That should be going up a lot. I like it. That's that's really helpful. I like that detailed list. I think, you know, people listening are going to appreciate, you know, having a picture in their head of what this whole thing looks like. I mean, if they're thinking about tackling this, it's good to know, you know, kind of where they're going. You told me um, 
a while back, the whole philosophy of account-based marketing and selling takes us way beyond just marketing and selling. I think we're talking about in terms of business strategy and how you think about the whole, the big picture. Describe what you see happening in that regard. Right. You know, I think, I mean, I kind of talked about this at the beginning, but I think the reason I say that um, it go, you know, the philosophy of account-based marketing goes beyond just marketing and selling is because I think you have, that, that, that it's not just a strategy, right? It's, there is a philosophy that underpins it. And that philosophy has to do with the, automa- the automation of rote tasks. You know, it has to do with um, an improved customer experience. It has to do with personalization, and I think the way that, or I think that's the way that business is moving. And I'm actually excited about that because as, you know, maybe, maybe this, is a, this is a little bit funny, but, you know, as a millennial, like, that's, that's how I actually want to be sold to, right? I like that a lot of, um, I'm, you know, I'm a millennial, but I'm also a, a, a millennial that buys, you know, I, I, I'm a business owner. I buy technology from other businesses all the time. And I like that I'm able to go out and find really good content. And I like that once I'm, finish doing that, I can be approached by a company and they can really um, target their messaging just to me and say, hey, you know, tell us about what you're thinking. This is what, you know, we think would be good for you. you. This is how we can help. Um, This is how we can be more consultative. And I'm excited to see the industry move more in that direction. And I think you're going to see more tools that help you do that. That's that's very cool. I just, um, it's... It's neat that someone like you is thinking about, you know, a bigger picture and not and and really how this changes how we do things in in beyond just our, you know, our own businesses or or how the world is changing and how this whole idea fits in and really looking ahead at it, I just think it's it's kind of inspiring. This has been really really helpful. Um I think it's a an excellent primer on account-based marketing and selling that uh, the audience is really going to appreciate. Where should people go to learn more about you or Asena if they're interested? I should go to www.asena.com. Um, I mean, this is really our thing. You know, we, we're building the first account-based marketing platform for the life sciences. And so we're going to be producing a lot of content about how to do account-based marketing. Because there's a lot of great content out there, you know, from companies like Engageo and Topo and ITSMA. But, um, you know, for our purposes, uh, account-based marketing changes a little bit. Like, like just, you know, just for one second, I mean, think about even the definition of an account, right? In a lot of industries, well, you know, an account would be a company. But in the sciences, you know, is an account a university or is it an institute? Is it a hospital? Is it a large lab? That's a hard question to answer. And so for that type of content, come to our website, you know, look at what we've got and, uh, and chat with us about how to make it better. Yeah. So, um, for any of you who don't know, Ethan is a prolific content producer. He's doing a great <laughs> job on that. And for the ACPLS and I appreciate the little plug for the meeting <laughs> and, um, and I will put a link to Asana on, in the show notes for this episode. So you, you can find it easily. Ethan Copet, thank you so much for, uh, this great conversation today. Thanks for having me, Chris. Really appreciate it. You bet. My pleasure. There you have it. This seems to be a hot topic and I'm grateful to Ethan for sharing so much valuable information. I met Ethan through the association of commercial professionals, life sciences last year. 
And network is, networking is only one of the benefits of joining. The ACPLS exists to help sales and marketing professionals in the life sciences increase their skills and their market understanding. This year's annual meeting will be held October 25th through 27th in Boston. If you sign up before July 1st, you'll save $350 off the registration fee. Better yet, email me, chris at lifesciencemarketingradio.com, and I will send you a link so you can save an additional 10% just because you're a listener to this podcast. And as always, if you like the podcast, please tell two of your colleagues, won't you? We have some great guests coming up you will not want to miss. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, don't forget the sunscreen. Have a good couple of weeks. Bye-bye.